The Abiding Word with Pastor Jim Swigert. Just for the privilege of gathering together, Lord, to come into this wonderful place, a building that we can assemble as the church, Lord, to sing praises and worship songs to you, Lord, to come to be refreshed by your Holy Spirit, fellowshipping with one another, knowing, Lord, that you are with us. And we pray now, Lord, for your Holy Spirit to be our teacher. Lord, you, you know what each one of us go through. You know where each one of us are spiritually. You have a word for each one of us through the scriptures that we'll look at today, Lord. We pray that you would speak, Lord, and that you would comfort us, Lord. Build up your body. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you would, please turn to the book of Habakkuk. We are in chapter 1, and we left off at verse 5 last week. And remember that Habakkuk means his name, who was a prophet. His name means embracer of God. And remember his background was is that he lived during a time when a revival came to the, to the house of Judah through King Josiah. And we understand also that as Habakkuk experienced that and witnessed and heard of it, he also saw the decline of Judah as they rebelled against God in very short order and they fell into spiritual despair, moral, social, and political decline. Wow, seems like watching the news today, doesn't it? So I believe that God has a word for us, encouragement. And I, I believe that all of us... Um, you know, we want to be embracers of God, amen? We want to embrace God because we understand, just as we sang about this morning, we understand the victory that we have in the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It always goes back to the cross. He died on the cross for our sin that we might have life, and we have that resurrection life through the Lord Jesus Christ. And we, like Habakkuk then, we, we want to be embracers of God. We understand we've experienced His grace, and so remember in the first four verses that we looked at last week, we saw that Habakkuk was crying out to God and he's not understanding God and why he would not intervene, that he would not come and discipline and judge his children that they might repent and turn from their wicked ways and turn to God. And remember in verse uh, two, O Lord, how long shall I cry? And remember that Habakkuk was, you know, wanting God to intervene, and he's essentially wanting, wondering why God's not intervening. And we might be here this morning, and we might think the same thing. Lord, how much more? And we might even think, well, if I was you, God, this is what I would do. Don't do that. That never ends well. But we might be thinking, well, how long, Lord? How much more? It's not that Habakkuk wanted to, you know, he, he wanted revival to break out. He wanted, and he wanted to trust God in what he was doing. But he wanted God to intervene. And, you know, when, a, when, a, you know, when the prophet heard that God was going to use the Babylonians, Babylonians as we see, to correct Israel, it, it raised more theological questions for him. And again, like I shared last week, I, I think it's so important that we understand in our relationship with God 
that no matter what we go through and when those doubts and fears do come, because they will come, that we turn to God because he has the answers. And as we go through Habakkuk, we're going to see that God works in ways that, um, that are not our ways. And again, we'll see this in an example. But I think it's also important to clarify or make sure that we understand Habakkuk's heart for his people Judah, the people of God, they were the ones rebelling. And it's important for us, the body of Christ, to understand all we see in the world, the world essentially is not the problem. We're called to live in the world of darkness. We're called to live in this world separated from the world and it's not really about the world. And it's something interesting as I chewed upon this week, when you look at the revival that took place under Josiah, and we read that there was uh, many reforms, and that's a good thing. God, God works that way. But I'm reminded that that revival was from top to bottom. And I don't know if you understand or if you heard this week there was an election I don't like to lose. So I was discouraged, and my wife had to ring my, hey, remember what you said Sunday? <laughs> I thought it's not about the election, this is about God. That's why God calls our wives and, you know, helpmates. We need them, and vice versa. But I'm reminded the troubles within the church. In fact, if you turn with me to 2 Timothy, Chapter 3, I want to read something that Paul shared with young Timothy, and he was referring to, and I know you know this passage of Scripture, but the issues that we read here were in the church. But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders, Slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than pleasures of God. So we really can't have the mindset, well, if the world would just turn itself around, this world would be better. Yes, it would be, but there's the big picture. There's always the big picture, and we see that with Habakkuk and the questions that he was asking God. Why have you not intervened? And as we've seen, he's very direct with God. And as we, no doubt, you want to be an embracer of God, that is going to put us in a mindset of not being the status quo believer. Amen? I don't want to be a status quo believer. I don't want to just go along with the way things are. I want to be used by God. I want to reach the lost. I want to see God work in the body of Christ that the light of Jesus Christ shines on the darkness and the darkness trembles and they turn to God. That's our desire. That's what we desire for God to do. God wants for man to turn from his wicked ways and turn to him. We want revival. And so we're going to see again from Habakkuk now that as he's called out to God, we get God's response to Habakkuk. And that reminds me again that, man, we can go to the Lord with our fears and doubts. We can say, Lord, I don't understand this. I don't understand how you work. And we can say that to him. And he hears. So in picking up in verse 5 then. Look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded, for I will work a work in your days which you would not believe, though it were told you. 
Now, for sure, this is a contextual answer to Habakkuk, meaning God was answering him according to what he had said about the southern kingdom and how they were defying God and what was going on and how God wasn't acting accordingly. And God tells Habakkuk there, for this situation at that time, that he's going to do a work so much so, I'm going to blow your mind. And as we go through this, I think it's important that um, we comprehend some foundational things about God. Meaning, as we read and study and meditate on the Word of God, His Word is going to bring about spiritual principles, foundational characteristics that we can apply all the time. So again, this is contextual. This is God speaking to His prophet. And notice that Habakkuk called himself a prophet. There's only a couple others that did that throughout all scriptures that called themselves prophets. But we can see from this scripture here one foundational truth that is always true with God at all times, that God is always working. Amen? God is always working. Even in the midst of turmoil, trials, tribulations, even when nations uh, leave God, God is always working. And this certainly applies to our, our personal lives as well. When things go the way that we don't understand. The ways that, you know, seemingly God doesn't intervene. God, I, you know that I'm suffering. Why don't you intervene? All these things we can apply personally. And of course, we remember Romans 8, verse 28, right? And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So one thing we must consider when we're thinking of God and that he's always working, he's always working according to his purpose. I have always quoted that scripture, purposes. The word says, or at least in the New King James, purpose. I find that very interesting because, you know, there's the big picture that we always must consider, even in our own personal trials and tribulations, in times of going through doubt and being anxious and not. There's always the big picture. Always. It seems like I use that phrase a lot lately, the big picture. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 through 6 says this, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. This is, this is the Lord's desire. His desire is for all man to come to the saving knowledge of his son Jesus. That they would understand that our sin keeps us from God. And that he sent his son Jesus to the cross to pay that debt that we owe to God. To take on the punishment for our sin. And the Bible says that we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. We all stand guilty before God. 
And it's the Lord's desire that all man would understand what the wonderful grace that he's given to us through Jesus. That's the big picture. That's the purpose. God is always working. Even in the midst when he uh, seemingly isn't working, even when he works in ways that we don't quite understand. And there might be even sometimes, as we see with Habakkuk, Lord, I, you're working this way, but I have no, this doesn't even make sense to me. But the Lord told Habakkuk, he's going to blow his mind. He said, I will work a work in your days which you would not believe, though it were told you. So how is it? Well, let's look at verse 6. For indeed, I am raising up the Chaldeans, a bitter and hasty nation, which marches through the breadth of the earth to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. This is a bombshell. This is like the Lord just wrecks Habakkuk. God was raising up the Chaldeans, and we understand that from the scriptures that Chaldeans were the Babylonians. They were ruthless, idolatrous, godless, inhumane in all of their military tactics against their enemy. They did not value life. And throughout, again, you know, uh, we, we read of, in the scriptures how brutal the Babylonians were. Remember that the Assyrians were the most brutal people. We read in scripture, we read in Isaiah how the Assyrians were brutal people. God used the Assyrians to come against his people in the northern kingdom, and now it's prophesied through uh, Jeremiah. God was going to use the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, to come and judge and punish his people. And the Assyrians had all these inhumane practices in which the Babylonians picked up. And it just so happened to be that this time period that we're looking at, the Babylonians, who was being raised up by God, conquered and defeated the Syrians in Egypt and all. The Babylonians were the military of the whole earth. They were ruling. And so God's telling Habakkuk, I am going to use this people to do what you want me to do, to bring my people back to me. Now, at this time, it might be to re be reminded of a few verses because it doesn't make sense, right? This is what Habakkuk is saying. It doesn't make sense that you're going to use the Babylonians. They're wicked. They're, they're, they're idolatrous. They, they hate you. They have the, all these pagan gods. They're brutal in all their tactics. But I'm reminded of Isaiah 55, verses 8 through 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor... The, your ways, my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Wow. And what about Romans chapter 11? Let me read Romans chapter 11 to you real quick. Romans chapter 11, verses um, 33 through 36. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways finding out. For you have has known the mind of the Lord, or who has become his counselor, or who has, has first given to him, and it shall be repaid to him. For of him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever. Amen. 
We don't comprehend all of God. In fact, we comprehend very, very little of God. He's too far above us. And all of history is his history. From the beginning to the end, it's all him. And only by his grace we exist. We're reminded here that God has and he will use strange instruments, people, to accomplish his purpose. And we see with Judah it was to discipline his people. And we, you know, his ways are always perfect. And if his ways are always perfect, even used in Chaldeans, the Babylonians are perfect. In fact, to, to help us understand this, um, you know, in Jeremiah, I want us to understand this. In Jeremiah chapter 25, again, Habakkuk was a contemporary of Jeremiah. Jeremiah's ministry started about um, 627 B.C. Yes, they experienced the revival, but God had been telling his people what was going to happen. That's, I'm going I'm to read this. In the beginning of the reign, in verse 1 of Jeremiah chapter 25, the word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, which was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, which Jeremiah the prophet spoke to all the people of Judah and to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, from the 13th year of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, even to this day, this is the 23rd year which the word of the Lord has come to me, and I have spoken to you, rising early and speaking, but you have not listened. We're going to fast forward as, as the Lord used Jeremiah to tell the people, you're not listening, you have, you have turned from me, you have disobeyed me. In verse 11 it says, And this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then it will come to pass when 70 years are completed that I will punish the king of Babylon and the nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, says the Lord, and I will make it a perpetual desolation. So it was God's plan as his people turned from him. God was telling and speaking through Jeremiah. And you, those of you in the Daniel study, remember Jeremiah was telling them, repent, turn, this is going to happen. And remember, you even had men of God say, no, this isn't going to happen. Yeah, it happened to the Syria. God used Assyria, but it's not going to happen to us. And that happens in the church today, doesn't it? When the word of God is taught and the truth is coming that man must repent and the church must rise up and wise up. Man must turn from his ways because there's coming a time of judgment. There's going to be a time that there is no more time. Do it now. That must be the message of the church today because that's the message of God, a message of love. And all this we see as we look through Jeremiah and we see what, uh, you know, the things that Habakkuk is hearing from God. God is sovereign. And that's what we take away from this book and take away from the, this conversation that Habakkuk's uh, having with God and now God speaking to him. So he, he blows his mind, for indeed I am 
raising up the Chaldeans, a bitter and hasty nation which marches through the breadth of the earth to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. And then he goes on, and remember, this is God speaking. They, Chaldeans, the Babylonians, they are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity proceed from themselves. So, again, the Chaldeans, they were savages, having no mercy, no compassion on people. They decapitated the heads of people. They burned people, including women and children. They flayed men, or men were flayed alive. Just brutal. If you go back in history and see these. But it doesn't end there. Verse 8 says, Their horses also are swifter than leopards and more fierce than evening wolves. Their chargers charge ahead. Their cavalry comes from afar. They fly as the eagle that hastens to eat. So the distance of far lands, it didn't matter to them. They were brutal. They were fast. They, their military was uh, 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 mighty. They were conquering the world, and they were using any, anything that they could to do it. Verse 9. Again, this is God speaking to Habakkuk. They all come for violence. Their faces are set like the east wind. They gather captives like sand. So here it's interesting that the Babylonians were going to bring violence, and it's the very thing that God is using against Judah, his people, the violence. Essentially, we see God turning things over to his people, allowing the consequence to take place. And oh, does that sound familiar? What we are witnessing in our own nation, God is allowing. He's allowing because man... Our nation, so blessed of God, foundationally, have turned our backs on God. We are reaping what has been sown. Verse 10, they scoff at kings and princes are scorned by them. They deride every stronghold, for they heap up earthen mounds and seize it. So, you know, the nations and the kings, they were... You know, building up fortresses, making themselves safe, it didn't matter to the Babylonians. They would just heap up dirt and they would go right over and conquer the people. There was nothing to stop them. And then God's saying, I'm going to use these people. Verse 11, then his mind changes and he transgresses his comp. He commits offense, ascribing this power to his God. So the Babylonians, they were drunk with power. Their God was their military power. And God's going to use them. That doesn't compute fully with us, does it? Well, we're in good hands, right? It didn't. It didn't. Uh, Habakkuk wasn't getting it either. We don't oftentimes think of God in that way. That's why I think it's vital for us. And the message that I'm receiving as I studied the book of Habakkuk is that we must have God's perspective in all things. We must have his perspective. And remember, going back to the foundational truth, the one that we looked at so far, God is always working. It doesn't matter who wins the election. It doesn't matter who wins on Saturday afternoons. God is always working. And you, we can apply that to our lives too, right? God is always working. According to his purpose. So this is what God said to Habakkuk. He complained to God. Why aren't you intervening? God says, I am going to intervene. I'm going to blow your mind away. 
I'm going to use these ruthless Babylonians. And now we get to Habakkuk's second question. Now he's responding back to God. And we're going to see some more foundational truths that we can apply to our lives about God. Verse 12. Are you not from everlasting? O Lord my God, my Holy One, we shall not die. O Lord, you have appointed them for judgment. O Rock, you have marked them for correction. So interesting enough, Habakkuk does something here that uh, is important whenever we might question God in the way that he works. We go back to the things that we know that are true about God. Because we know, right, God will never change. He's the same today, yesterday, and forevermore. His word never changes. God doesn't change. If he could change, he's not God. So therefore, there's no progression in life. From, well, that's a different sermon, sorry. Um, we'll get there some other time. Look what Habakkuk says. Are you not from everlasting? He knows God. He knows his existence is real. He may not understand how God is working, but he affirms what he knows about God, and he says, are you not from everlasting? You are eternal. O Lord, my God, my Holy One. O Lord, Jehovah, you are not depending, dependent upon anybody. You are independent of man. You're independent of everything outside of yourself. In other words, you're sovereign. You are in control. Your ways are perfect. He's acknowledging this. He says, we shall not die. How could Habakkuk say that in, what, in light of what he's just heard? Well, Habakkuk knew the word of God. Habakkuk knew and understood that God had entered into uh, a covenant with Israel that the promise that they would be his people forever. And all through the scriptures, and I love this, we see God saying, I will be their God and they will be my people. And so that's a foundational promise for Israel, yes. But for you and I as well as we apply this, we have the promise that God will never leave us nor forsake us. We have his promise that we are confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in us, he's going to see us through until the day of Christ Jesus. And again, this is a reflection then as Habakkuk hears this from God, he heard it from God, having his mind blown away, he goes back to what he knows about God. And to have God's perspective and to understand that God is always working, we always got to go back to the character of God because his promises and his character are one, can never be separated, amen? God's not going to tell us or give us a promise and then break the promise. I read Charles Spurgeon told the story of a woman who was in discussion over the assurance of salvation. What a topic, all right. You're supposed to say amen there. <laughs> <laughs> oh. But Charles Spurgeon told the story of a woman who was in a discussion over the assurance of salvation with one of her neighbors, and her neighbor was a very skeptical man. He, he loved to poke fun at her, and finally one day she had spoken up on eternal security. 
and, um, and she told him how she belonged to the Lord, and her future was totally in God's hands. And he said to her, how do you know that? And she said, God tells me that a hundred times in his word. And she started quoting verses to him. And finally he said, suppose God doesn't keep his word. You know the people that you witness to that come up with these things. She quickly answered and said this. This is amazing. His loss would be greater than mine. I would lose my soul, that's true, but God would lose his honor. Behind the promises of God stands the character of God. Isn't that amazing? And so when it says, when we talk about this personal relationship with God, this is what God desires, and to get in the word, why? So we can know him more. So we can be assured of the promises of God that's rooted in his character that no one, nobody, no thing can take away that we, what we have in the Lord. Habakkuk continues in verse 13 in his conversation with God. You are of purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness. Why do you look on those who deal treacherously and hold your tongue when the wicked devours a person more righteous than he? And so Habakkuk, throughout all this, he recognizes that Judah needed to be disciplined. He understands that they needed to be judged for their sin and rebellion against God. But he cannot believe that God would use the wicked and brutal Babylonians to do the correction, to be that instrument of correction. And so he's trying in his mind to reconcile God's actions with God's moral standards. God was holy, or is holy, and he cannot tolerate sin or even look upon evil, but yet he would use an evil, wicked nation like Babylon, a less righteous nation, to punish Judah. And I'm sure somebody here has it going through their mind. We live in a, a country that is changing, a world that is changing. Amen, we know this. And we understand you're having, uh, you know, nations rise up and, you know, they do the threatening and, you know, their economy is going to be greater than ours. And, you know, just fundamentally our government has changed and is changing. And you start seeing, well, maybe we aren't the superpower that we've always been for the last several decades. And you start thinking maybe in your own human reasoning, well, could, could God really let this happen? That the United States could be taken down. Based on what we read just in the character of God and going back to these foundational things, yes, God would allow it. I don't say that to bring fear. I say it, let's rejoice in the Lord. Continue on then. Verse 14. Why do you make men like fish of the sea, like creeping things that have no ruler over them? And going back to what I just said, speaking of socialism, communism, and how it likes to reign in the world, you know, it's a race or, or uh, you know, to influence and uh, nations to, to live in a more acceptable way or a more honoring way. And we, we believe the way we live founded on God 
these nations that aren't founded on God, having much influence in the world today. You think of all the different worldviews that are coming against man today. You have worldviews that connect with God and his existence and his word and his promises and his truth and his absolutes versus nations and worlds that, that, that don't. That's where we're at. So Habakkuk, he throws out this analogy in verse 14 of uh, referring to Judah being like fish, helpless in the sea, defenseless, easy prey for the Babylonians. It just doesn't seem right. It seems inconsistent with the character of God. And he continues, they take up all of them with a hook. They catch them in their nets and gather them in their dragnet. Therefore, they rejoice and are glad. Interesting, the language here in verse 15 points to the Babylonians and the way they treated their enemies, literally putting hooks in their mouth, putting rope through to the next person and carrying them back to the land of Babylon or to Babylon. And of course, the Assyrians did that and the Babylonians took it, uh, carried that on. Putting hooks in the jaws. And he continues then, verse 16, therefore they sacrifice to their net and burn incense to their dragnet because by them their share is sumptuous and their food plentiful. They shall therefore empty their net and continue to slay nations without pity. You ask the question, shall they therefore empty their net and continue to slay nations without pity? So interesting, in other Babylonian sculptures and, sculptures and, and illustrations, they, they show their, their deities coming back to Babylon with their, their captives. And then they're worshiping their dragness. They're worshiping all these different things that help them, pointing them to their power. They think they're gods. Strange deities for sure. It's nothing but idolatry, glorifying themselves. They're then going back to the question, how could God use these people to judge his people? Why would God use this people to be that instrument to bring them back into a right relationship with God? And interesting, if some no doubt would think that if God would allow that, wouldn't it show signs that the Babylonian pagan gods who aren't real, greater than God, Jehovah God? I'm reminded, remember uh, with David, and remember when the Philistines took the ark, they stole the ark, and they brought it into the temple of Dagon, and uh, now you've got to go read the story because that's amazing. Don't ever think that the pagan gods are above God, even in that setting. Um, statues fell, arms were broken and not. But Isaiah 48, 11 tells us this, for my own sake, for my own sake, I will do it. For how should my name be profaned? I will not give my glory to another. Habakkuk then says in verse 1 of chapter 2, I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what 
I will answer when I am corrected. This is an awesome picture here for you and I, and it really brings home application points. As Habakkuk is having this conversation with the Lord in prayer, and the Lord speaks to him, and then he speaks back to God, certainly not understanding all, wanting and trusting in God, but not understanding at all. And he's very open here as he goes, and he's a watchman, meaning he's going and he's going to spend time with the Lord. It's waiting on the Lord. And he knows that he's not understanding. But you and I, we're, we're called to be watchmen. We're called to, to have spiritual understanding of what is going on in the world today. And ultimately, you know, just like Habakkuk, that we would go off just like he did and wait on the Lord and to gain insight from God, to gain his perspective. And to gain his perspective, we must spend time with him. How vital is it? We could, you know, as a, a, a new church plan, and you know, we could come up with all kinds of different things that, that would, you know, we would see to help build people up and to get out there and preach the gospel. But for all of us, the most important thing is that we as individuals have this perspective of God. Especially living in these days that we're living in. Staying up and watching the elections and waiting a week or two weeks, whatever it's going to be for the outcome of all these different elections, that's not going to bring us peace. And even if we had it the way we would want it to go, it would only be reforms from the top to the bottom. What we need in America and what we need in the world is revival, a spiritual revival where hearts are turned over back to God and allowing God to do what's necessary. And it starts with us individually. It starts with us spending that time with God that we would have his, his perspective and to be the embracer of God that God wants us to be. Gaining his perspective again in all things. That we might have his joy and his peace. Being filled with his spirit, clinging to Jesus himself. Abiding in him. And that's what we're going to see from Habakkuk. I know this first chapter and this first verse here, it seems like, man, Habakkuk, he was a prophet of God, but he, he didn't get it. He did get it. He was real. And he called out to God, and God spoke to him. And we're going to see him in the end just praising God. I don't understand, but you promised. And we understand the promises that God had for Judah. Seventy years captivity. And then when 70 years, guess what? God brought him back and began to do a work. That's what he wants to do in our lives and those people that are around us. He wants to use you, the embracer of God, filled with his spirit, gaining his perspective. Once again, we see the overall theme here in Habakkuk is that God is sovereign. And it's not just all about the nation or the world. We apply all these truths to our individual lives. When things don't go the way we want them to or expect them to, maybe when you go through trials that you just don't understand, maybe some things that aren't fair. And I know many here have gone through times in their lives where it just doesn't seem fair. But what do we know? 
We know that God is always working. His thoughts and ways are so much higher than our ways. And there is always the big picture according to his purpose. Would you stand with me if the worship team wants to come up? Lord, we are so thankful for your word. We're so thankful for your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you are able to work in our hearts, Lord, that we might gain your perspective. Lord, oh, how we need your perspective in life. Oh, how we want to be like Habakkuk, an embracer of God, and even though there's times that we don't understand, we understand that the depth of what we've looked at is that it's all about how can a holy God work in such a way that doesn't line up. Lord, I pray for your spirit upon our church here, the people, that you would fill them afresh, that they would gain your perspective, Lord, to walk in these days, days that we read of the scripture this morning and what they're like. And that we don't have to walk in these days with the gloom and doom face or heart or attitude, Lord, that we could have the joy of the Lord filled with your spirit, walking in your presence, waiting, and trusting in you, Lord, and fulfilling your business. Lord, we pray for your spirit to fall upon these people, that they would bear witness of Jesus and that we would glorify you, Lord, in all things. Lord, we know it soon and very soon. We have the wonderful promises of God that this is not our home. Heaven is our home. But you desire to do a work. Lord, I pray for those that might be going through struggles right now, Lord, that you would remind them that you are working are working according to your plan. And that through that, Lord, they would be strengthened. Father, we love you and praise you. We ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.